Good morning. My name is Greg Wood. I'm one of the elders here at New City. If we haven't met before, I'm glad to be with you this morning. Uh, welcome to New City and the body of Christ here among us. Our text this morning is 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Um, it's what we're going to center on. We're going to read some more. We're going to read lots of other texts, but we're going to read some more around that verse. But let's hone in. Um, and if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. It's always good for you to be able to check me in what I'm saying with the scripture open for yourself. We're going to have um, many of the texts for this morning on the screen uh, for your benefit as well. So here's the verse that we're going to focus on. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So there are lots of you know, pronouns and this metaphors with home and away. You're probably filling in some of the gaps, right? But let's zoom out a little bit and get more of the context to see what he's referencing. We'll start at verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So the inspired Apostle Paul writes of our current home being this fleshly body. Our current absence from the Lord is what we have because he's been resurrected to the right hand of the Father. He's in heaven, and we're not there. Our desire is to be with the Lord in Christ's presence fully, right? Granted, we have the down payment already the guarantee who's that the holy spirit we have been given his, so so christ abides with us yet we don't experience the fullness of christ's fellowship like we will at our resurrection we don't have that now the eternal spiritual bodies that we will be given so that we can fully enjoy his presence in holiness that's what's spoken of in first corinthians 15 so we don't have that yet but we've got the down payment. So the reality that we will be in his presence is still to come. And with that will be a judgment where believers will receive rewards for their stewarding of Christ's gracious gift. That's what we saw in verse 10 there. Well, Paul, let me ask you a question. What are you saying? Are we saved by works? You guys could be listening to the liturgy already and know that we're not saved by works. You can be reading the scriptures, right, that, that we've been reading. Are we saved by works somehow? And, and that's what you're talking about with this judgment? No. If so, we're toasted, right? We're hopeless if that's the case for us. We've got no perfect works to offer God. This is not a judgment of sin, that's done at the cross for believers, but a judgment of whether or not God's saving and justifying grace has then produced in us a stewardship of those gifts for his glory and rewarding 
those things, like Paul already taught in, uh, to the Corinthians over in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15, this is like a building of works. Our ministry is like a building of works, not a different foundation than the gospel, but a building upon that which will be tested to see if it will endure the fire of God's judgment. The workers already saved by Christ. So this is just a judgment of the, of the works. This is a judgment of what we've done in our stewardship. So, into that context, Paul says, so whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So I want to pray again, and I want to see if we can get a better grasp on this text together. Um, so would you pray with me? Thank you. Lord, we're here this morning all because of Jesus. You've done amazing things, and, and it's him that we want to be exalted. Father, we want the work that you have begun in us to reach its completion. And Father, we desire to know what it is to please you and how it is that we can do that as, as people, even, even the redeemed here among us, Lord, we are, we are still sinners. So we want to please you, Lord. Not to lay another foundation, but help us to build a work that you will find delightful. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I find that I keep coming back and back to 2 Corinthians just over and over. It's been, it's been a joy to get to study this again. I was, thought of, I was thinking about the text recently. Uh, my grandmother passed away in June, and in this text we, talk, we, we, we see the whole desire to be with the Lord, you know, and absent from the body. So there's beautiful truth throughout this book. I hope that this morning it does a, a good thing for us uh, in motivating us with the gospel for what it is that God calls us to do um, as his redeemed. So if you're like me, finding yourself sometimes exhausted and trying to please all these people and forgetting and neglecting to, to please the Lord, this text is for you. There's only one person to please. Only one. He's the Lord God. There's only one that we are called to pursue pleasing, and he's the better and true Lord. Now, if you're not a follower of Christ this morning, there's other things that we've got to say to you, right? For, for the, the reality that we are sinners, and the, the truth is that our sinful works cannot please the Lord. But if you're a follower of Christ then the text is for you too because Jesus, the Lord of the universe, has called us to this, to, to pleasing him. And so you're called to steward the gifts of your kind master. Calls us to aim at pleasing him and faithfully stewarding these gifts. So verse 9 is a lot like the passage. Um, think about John 15, 8, where Jesus said, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. By this is my Father shown to be great. If you bear fruit and prove that you've got the characteristics 
and the fruit from what a life of being a disciple is like. Being a disciple and doing things as a disciple. Father, the Father is glorified by that. Now, some of y'all may be thinking, hey, Greg, did you happen to be listening to the liturgy when we were reading from Isaiah 64? And, and did you hear that whole thing about the filthy rags, the, the polluted garments? Hey, how's that? How's that come up and, and get weighed with works? Are they just filthy? So we're going to address that. We need to dive into, you know, the difference in works for sanctification, the works of justification first, and, it, you know, how that's going to go terribly if we go that route. Works for justification, and yet in God's work through us after we are justified. So we're going to talk about that. Who is, who would, who is Isaiah talking to when he said that? Um, here's an outline for us. Briefly, we're going to look at, um, first, at, the, at this text under the first header of the gospel's foundation for pleasing the Lord. Secondly, we'll move into looking at this whole difference, like I just mentioned, between the need for justification and how we can't please God. So what's the difference in doing works? Who, who can even please God? And then lastly, we'll conclude with some things that we as New City can do to bring honor and glory and even put a smile on God's face. All right, so let's jump in. The gospel's foundation for pleasing the Lord, because we cannot, cannot leave the truth of unmerited favor coming to us by grace through faith. The scripture teaches God's own character is the foundation of this. And we can see this really when we take a look at what God delights in, what he honors. So we see God's pleasure in himself first and foremost. God is first and foremost pleased with himself, with his own perfections. And if he wasn't, he'd be worshiping something else. He would be exalting some other God. So for him, it is, he is the only one for whom it is right to exalt himself. Isaiah 48 Verse 9 through 11 says, For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. There's some grace for us, right? Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory, I will not give to another. No one will be exalted more highly than him. It is fitting then that God would even praise and exalt his own character and his work and the work that he, that's the work that he requires of us too. And now this filters down, okay? So, so where does the gospel relate to pleasing God? Well, first of all, let's remember God is pleasing to God. And then it filters down to us and gets closer to us when we see that God takes pleasure in his son. The father takes pleasure in the son. He delights in him. And that then will spill over into blessing for us. We'll see that. So Colossians 1.19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Speaking of Jesus, in him all the fullness. So doesn't it make sense that if all the fullness that God already delights in, if it exists in Christ, then he delights in his son. 
his son representing him perfectly and fully to us. Well, guess what else? He, he announces this at Luke 30, or excuse me, Luke 3, 21 to 22, when he says, when all, it says this, when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. And with you, I am well pleased. God is pleased to have his kingdom breaking into the world through his perfect image bearer. Like that, you know how you used to put those um, gizmos on your face and it had those pins and you could push it on your face and like, it looked like your profile? The, the image of the son is pressed into the world. And so his kingdom is breaking in and it is delightful to the father that we can see his own character manifested in the son. And we also see how the scripture teaches that the father delights in the son's righteousness imputed to us through faith. So it's like a fountain spilling over, you know, his glory spilling over into the son and his, the glory from the father to the son spilling over to the benefit of you and me. God's pleasure also exists with faith in the Son. And that's where we move further and further to the heart of the gospel message that we proclaim about the good news of what Christ has done in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, the benefits that we get through that. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. So in other words, he's promised them to us. We, we, we know that it's coming, and, and he's given us so much good through Christ. Verse 2, for by it people of old received their commendation. Verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please him. So whatever first, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 means, without faith it is impossible to please him. We cannot forget that. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Boy, I think we're right at the heart of the gospel here. The way that grace comes to us, the way that we get the benefits of Jesus, the way that we're justified by grace through faith, and how that then empowers a transformed life, pleasing to God. So if you're not a believer, right here is the heart of this message for you. If you're not somebody that um, follows Christ, if you're not somebody that is quite sure yet, you know, what all this stuff about Jesus is that the Bible speaks of, right here is the heart of today's message for you. I encourage you, Look at the work of Christ, his love, his grace. Turn to him, trusting in him. Turn away from the stuff that you've lived as if he doesn't exist or lived as if, you know, this stuff isn't true. You've lived more for the pleasure of yourself than for him. Turn to him. His arms are open wide. He says, come, come. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come to Christ for what it is that you can't do on your own. Trade your garments stained by sin. Trade those in for the righteousness of Christ. 
And he will do that if you just trust him. There's not works involved in you being justified in Christ. Just trust. You've got to turn to him and count on him to have done all the works necessary. So for New City, for those of us that are followers of Christ, we're to believe that he is the rewarder of our works done in faith. God is pleased with us trusting Christ. Thus, faith honors who God is and what he has done, and it gives us rightful, the rightful place to look to the glory of God for change in our heart. So you see the overflowing, it, it begins, the gospel begins with the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. That's what earlier in 2 Corinthians we learn of in chapter 4. The glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. That's what we've seen. That overflows into the Son of God accomplishing all that he required to honor his glory. And then that overflows into us getting in on the benefits. This is the good news for you and me. So these three things. Overflowing into those levels are how we've got to then approach what it is to please the one true and living God. To honor the Lord at this judgment day with some sort of fruit, some sort of works that he finds pleasure in. It's the only, only thing that um, is going to empower and sustain a life like that. So let's look at God's pleasure with our good works done in faith. Probably one of the clearest connections that there is in Scripture that I know of between the things that we uh, believe and the things that are going to then be produced by that belief is found in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. A gift has no earning to do there. There's where justification happens. The declaration that we are righteous before a, a holy God happens right there. By grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I will give my glory to no other, he said. No other boasting. No one's going to come before God and say, this is what you owe me. I have done it, and mm, you must. We can't do that. There's no one that will boast before God, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So those three verses right there encompass the transformation of us, the, the, the imputation of righteousness in Christ and the works that he is going to produce in us. So notice created in Christ Jesus. There's the regeneration, the, the new life that he has given us. And what's it for? You tell me. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, right? The goal is that that would not only be that that would not be the end of what that produces. It's a seed that then bears fruit as the Holy Spirit works that into us. So this is the gospel foundation for when Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. So I mentioned earlier an objection 
Don't we have works that are filthy rags, polluted garments? So how do we distinguish between pleasing him for justification and pleasing him for sanctification? Whose works are actually filthy rags? Isaiah 64, 5 through 7 is where it tells us that. I'll read uh, that even though we've read it earlier. Verse 5, you meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you are angry and we sinned. In our sins, we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We've all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Who has righteous deeds? No one who's not in Christ. How do we know that we're talking about people that aren't justified here in this text? You can see evidence of that throughout here about calling on the name of the Lord. Well, that work was done in us by the Holy Spirit where we called out to the Lord, right? But we can also see earlier in Isaiah, we can read uh, in, in chapter 58, verse 3, about the reality that this is a people, Israel, who have rebelled against God. They've put on the outer facade of religious stuff and no heart transformation inside, no true belief. Instead, they're whitewashed tombs. Verse 3 says, Why have we fasted, and you see it not, God? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your... This is God's response. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers... Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? All that outward stuff? Verse 6, is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Who's being addressed with filthy garments as a description of their works? This is a people polished on the outside, just like the Pharisees, inside full of dead men's bones. Religious facades gain nothing. We will never be justified in the Lord's sight. We will never have righteousness from God if it's a mere religious outside. Work must be done by the Spirit in the heart. So our answer, who can be described as having polluted garments, filthy rags, those who have not been justified by grace through faith. That was us. 
that was us. No inward transformation having happened. Nothing we can do, nothing we could do could earn us the verdict of not guilty in God's courtroom. Without justification by grace through faith, nothing good happens when we stand before Christ at the judgment seat. That's the state we were in, though. We were, for those of us that are followers of Christ, we were in that state. In fact, 1 Corinthians, again, Paul has said so much that comes prior to our text. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says, such were some of you. Hear it. Verse 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. New city. Followers of Christ. Such were some of you. So when we sing and we are grieved by our sins, that is so true. And such were some of you. And yet now we are justified. Now those sins are dealt with on the cross. And so things have changed for us. No longer under the weight of sin, we live. We live to the glory of God, and we want his work to be transforming us so that we can bear fruit. So whose works can be pleasing to the Lord? Well, 1 Corinthians 6.11 goes on to say, And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of of our God. There's the work of the gospel. Transforming us from the inside out so that our past is not the description of who we are in Christ Jesus. His gospel is taking root and it is going to bear fruit for the glory of God. Faith comes in bringing tons of grace to a depraved people like you and I were. Like we see all throughout our society, the news, social media feeds, and it affects a change. The change is not merely outward, it's inward. In, inside out transformation. And God graciously does this thing by the Spirit at work, filling us with joy, giving us new desires, motivations. And even the thing to look forward to of seeing a smile on his face when he considers what his Spirit has been able to work in us and through us that made glory come to him. It's a joy like we read of in, um, again, a passage, a chapter before our main text. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18 says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our in, inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen, excuse me, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We can endure much hardship here in the world. We can be persecuted for the name of Christ. We can have the effects of sin be heavy upon us and yet be sorrowful 
and yet always rejoicing. God working his amazing grace in us because we are looking to the things that are promised to you and me. We have a great and glorious hope. So how beautiful to look ahead to that. Being sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. So, again, we know the foundation of the gospel overflowing to us in Christ Jesus. We don't leave that foundation. So whose works can be pleasing to the Lord? Our answer, those who find their righteousness in an imputed righteousness from Christ. Our works can then become pleasing to the Lord. Not to try and go back and earn that declaration of not guilty, but to bring a smile upon our Father's face. So if that's not you, if you haven't been reconciled to God, then let me plead with you. Be reconciled to God by believing. Trust in Christ today. Receive his imputed righteousness for your own. Trade, trade out with him your filthy garments for his righteous garments. We can't do this on our own, so run to the cross and find what's needed. I want to ask one more question before we dig into how to do this, and that's what has the church taught over the years on this? Let's get some guidance from historical theology as to whether or not we're on the right track in this understanding about whose works can be pleasing and whose works cannot be pleasing. What has the church taught? Well, back in 1689... Some Baptists got together, took the Westminster Confession of Faith, baptized it, if you will, and copied this section right here verbatim from that, that confession. So this is the 1689 London Baptist Confession, um, which speaks of what works can do and what works cannot do. It says this, Even by our best works, we cannot merit forgiveness of sin or eternal life before God because of the great disproportion between our works and the glory to come and the infinite distance between us and God. By our works, we can neither contribute to nor satisfy God for the debt of our former sins. So true, so good. That's the heart of the gospel right there and the contrast with a salvation by works. When we have done all that we can, we have merely done our duty and are unprofitable servants. Because our good works are good, they come from His Spirit. At the same time, since they are done by us, they are defiled and mixed with so much weakness and imperfection that they cannot endure the severity of God's punishment. It goes on. Nevertheless, believers are accepted through Christ, so their good works are accepted in Him. Good works are not accepted as completely blameless and irreproachable in God's sight. Rather, because God looks upon them in His Son, He is pleased to accept and reward good works that are sincere Good works that are sincere, even though they're accompanied by many weaknesses and imperfections. Those good works that are done in faith. Now, when I read that, that put together so many things for me in the scripture that I have wrestled with. Knowing that text in Isaiah, 
believing that and yet knowing that Christ calls me to bear good fruit. Well, did God just have this fruit coming before him that's all rotten and nasty? And he just like, get that out of my presence. It's terrible. It stinks. You know, it's, it's black and rotten and full of worms. Well, what we learn when we listen to the scripture in this is we can please God. How? Those works are washed by Christ. They are, they are viewed by God through Christ. And so these things tainted as they are, are cleaned up by God on the other side of, of us by Christ and presented to the Father. There's an illustration that came to, to mind and is helpful, I think, where a little girl had her dad coming home. Her dad liked his flower garden, and so she goes out uh, after he'd been a long time away, she goes out uh, on the night that he's returning, picks up all, some, some of these flowers, takes them inside together with weeds that she had picked out. Also flowers, dandelions, you know. Brings those in. She gives them to her mom or put, she, who puts them in a vase. She goes to bed. And while the girl is sleeping, mom cleans up the things, gets the links correct so that the display can be beautiful and pleasing, more pleasing to the Father. It's a little bit like what Christ does with our works, so that the smile on God's face is wide. So hopefully, hopefully, brothers and sisters, you're seeing some things that will help you to desire more and more to be pleasing to God. Get rid of some of these hindrances of like, Man, I, I'm, always, I'm always falling short in these things. You get to put that aside and trust that Christ is cleaning up all that stuff to you and be bold and confident in Christ to go out and do the things that he's called us to do in the scripture. Not as a way of trying to earn his acceptance, but to put a smile on the face of our Father, to bring glory to him and to spread like the Apostle Paul was doing when he's writing to these Corinthians, he's talking about their ministry, spreading that good news around for more and more people so that they can be reconciled, all of us. Now, finally, I think we've got a foundation for us in the truth of the gospel to ask the question, what is it that we can do how is it that we can go about pleasing the Lord? So we're pursuing our Lord's pleasure. And I want to say this. We first need to be mindful of Christ's work on our behalf. We talked about this. I want to show you 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. Right here in the same context, Paul is saying, look, you don't leave this. Verse 20 says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Please, your Father, here's a message that you carry, and here's a message that we too believe. We're not just great orators or something like that. You know, far from it for me. We're not just people that are trained in speaking things that somebody else has given us. No, this is something that we truly, truly believe. So we proclaim this message, and we never leave it ourselves. It's a reminder for you and me this morning of how it is that we're to go about, mindful of the work of Christ as we take this good news to others and seek to please him with that. We also 
Seek to please the Lord, being confident in Christ's cleansing power for our works. I mentioned earlier, this takes away a barrier, a hindrance to us, knowing that we're not going to be perfect, knowing that when we go and speak, perhaps to a, a coworker, somebody that needs to hear some hard truth, perhaps, but the true truth, <laughs> we can go confident that God will enable us and take the imperfections away, clean them up, and it'll be pleasing to the Lord. Galatians 5, 6. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. We're not going back to laying another foundation, trying to have works be something that would justify us before God. We've already got the fullness of what those, that circumcision was pointing forward to. We've got that in Christ. We've got a circumcision of the heart, a work that he has done in us. Why would we go back to trying to do that kind of a thing again? No, let's be confident in what Christ has done and then his ability and power for cleaning that stuff up to the Father. The old sign is useless for good work now. We don't go back to those things, the ceremonial law, all of it pointed forward to Christ. We have Christ. Praise the Lord. We now can then take that faith and be a good steward of it, love God, love one another, our neighbors, and bring him the fruit that he desires. Hebrews 6, 10 through 12 says, For God is not unjust to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. Take courage in that, brothers and sisters, New City. God's not going to forget that. He's not going to pass over that. And he's even going to clean it up so that it is perfectly pleasing to him in Christ. Verse 11 says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So in other words, endure. Be confident that he's going to reward us so that we may not be sluggish, verse 12, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, what else pleases the Lord? How else can we go about pleasing him? There are so many things that this, the New Testament says. The scripture, like especially through the gospels, um, Matthew 10, 42 and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. I'm an engineer, work for the Air Force. I sure hope that some of that stuff counts as bringing glory to him. Doing my work by faith, by the Spirit, with honesty, integrity, doing things that are going to benefit other people, taking the opportunities that the Lord gives me to share the good news that I know of because of what God has done in me, the grace that he's given to me. I want to do my work by faith. We can do those things. We can give a cup of cold water to someone in need. James 2.22 says, you see that faith was active along with his works, so faith was completed by his works. That's, that's the, all the fruit that, the, that faith is intended to bring about, to continue forward and produce works. Evidence of the reality of the work that Christ has done to make us new. And then Matthew 25, 40, the king, 
The judge will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Loving our neighbor as ourself. We do that unto Christ. We do that for his glory, and it shows and displays him and that foremost part of the fountain that's flowing down to you and me. We could also look at what displeases the Lord. I'll just mention this one. The opposite of doing what pleases the Lord is doing right in our own eyes, our own inventions. I know what Scripture says, but, you know, that's kind of outdated. We kind of really think differently about it now. Doing what's right in our own eyes displeases the Lord. We need to please Him as followers of Christ. And I'll leave more specific and deeper applications for us in our various situations for you among your MCs. So important, so important to be part of a missional community where that can really take uh, you know, root and, and the rubber can meet the road with application for us, okay? But in closing, I want you, I want us to be hopeful for seeing Christ's face. Seeing him face to face, knowing that we will be in his presence is such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful motivator for us now. My eyesight is about 10% of what you guys have in bright light, according to doctors. I look forward so, so much to seeing Jesus face to face because of that problem that my eyesight has. I thank God for an affliction that causes me to not look at only my current circumstances, but to long for the day when we see Jesus face to face. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. You and I all have familiarity with suffering, with enduring the pains of sin, its consequences. But oh, to see the face of Jesus when our faith shall be sight. I don't know about you. When I enter into heaven, I want to see Jesus' face as the first thing with perfectly restored vision. It's going to be, I hope he's got a big smile on his face. Um, I'm confident that he will because he's done the good work already and he's going to be faithful to bring it to completion. Brothers and sisters, we've got a lot, a lot, a lot to look forward to about being in the presence of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 10, one more time. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due him for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We can't change our past. We don't have to pay for those things that we have done as believers. We can move forward with the aim to please our Lord, knowing that our imperfections are not a hindrance to pressing on and pursuing the Lord's pleasure. New City, let us aim 
to please the Lord by faithfully stewarding his, all of his many gifts and looking forward to the hope of resurrection. Let's pray. Lord, you're so kind. You came to dead people, dead in our sins, with no hope, but people who you decided to resurrect. God, it's a beautiful thing that we are recipients of grace. Let our song to you and our, our joy in that never end. And Father, I pray that you would help us not to miss the grace of your work ongoing in us, the grace that you continue to give us by your indwelling spirit to even put a smile on your face, knowing that our confidence is never in ourselves, but is in Christ, beginning and ending with grace, all the way through, never stopping, always abounding to your glory. Be exalted in us, Lord, your, your children. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.